She stood for a moment, looking out at a slowly moving view of the hills, watching Heather slide past underneath the door, feeling the wind blow her wispy hair, and listening to the rumble and grind of the big black stones as the castle moved. Then she shut the door and went to the window, and there was a seaport town again. It was no picture. A woman had opened a door opposite and was sweeping dust into the street. Behind that house, a grayish canvas sail was going up a mast in brisk jerks, disturbing a flock of seagulls into flying round and round against the glimmering sea. I don't understand, Sophie told the human skull. Then, because the fire looked almost out, she went and put on a couple of logs and raked away some of the ash. Green flames climbed between the logs, small and curly, and shot up into a long blue face with flaming green hair. Good morning, said the fire demon. Don't forget we have a bargain. Welcome to Story Girls Podcast, a fortnightly podcast where we talk about books with a dash of absurdity. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Alicia. And this, our first season, we are working on the theme of books that have the word castle in the title. The book we are discussing this week is Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne-Jones. So should we start by reading the back cover? Yeah. We have the same edition here, so... Do you want to read it? No, you read it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) How about making a bargain with me, said the demon. I'll break your spell if you agree to break this contract I'm under. In the land of Ingery, where seven league boots and cloaks of invisibility really exist, Sophie Hatter attracts the unwelcome attention of the Witch of the Waste, who puts a curse on her. Determined to make the best of things, Sophie travels to the one place where she might get help, the moving castle which hovers on the nearby hills. But the castle belongs to the dreaded wizard Howell, whose appetite, they say, is satisfied only by the hearts of young girls. Dot, dot, dot. That's pretty accurate. It's pretty accurate. It really... um, And and intriguing. It's intriguing, and it just barely scratches the surface of what this book is. Yeah. So I think it's a good little teaser. Nice teaser. Yeah. So what do we know about Diana Wynne-Jones? Well... Not that much, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, Diana Wynne-Jones was a very prolific author. She wrote a ton of books, mostly children's and YA. Um, she died fairly recently, I think 2011, mm-hmm. some, somewhere in that ballpark. Somewhere there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, she was, I would say, more influential than she was well-known. Right. Um, and it was, in fact, only after the Harry Potter books got really popular that her books started to be um, republished, which was... Amazing because they're definitely, this one anyway is definitely. There's some gold in there. There's some gold in there. There's yeah. some silver and bronze too, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, she was a huge influence on a lot of um, fantasy authors, including J.K. Rowling, Neil Gaiman, a um, whole bunch of people. A whole bunch of people. Yeah. A lot of the books came out in the 80s. Um, we'll talk more about the covers later, but there's a whole bunch of re-released ones mm-hmm. with updated covers. But if you are looking at some of her books, uh, yeah, they look pretty dated. The, yeah. the covers are not great. Um, but we uh, particularly like her book, Fire and Hemlock as well. Mm-hmm. And we'll probably talk about that in a different season. Yes. So, but we yeah. highly recommend that one. We can't talk about it now because it's enough castle in the title. It's true. Yeah. This isn't the season about fire books. It's or, not our hemlock season. It's not our hemlock season. <laughs> it's not our, our and season. Yeah. And so uh, now we shall go to our 
magic bowl of talking points. Indeed. It's not a great so, name. <laughs> that is not a great name, no. But wait, wait, wait. Before, we, before we go to our magic bowl of talking points, should mm. we talk for a minute about why we chose this book? Oh, yes, yes. So um, my first encounter with Howell was the movie. Right. So uh, for those of you who know of Studio Ghibli, mm-hmm. That this is one of the movies. Um, if you don't know the most famous Studio Ghibli, they're all animated movies, uh, is Spirited Away. I think that one got a lot of press and I think there was an Oscar nom. Um, we love all of, well, we love <laughs> most of the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, your exception would be the movie of Howl's Moving Castle. Yes, I kind of hate it. I don't hate it. There is parts I love of it and I love the visual representation of the castle. And that was my first encounter with uh, it. Uh, there are definitely some problematic parts. The voice uh, <laughs> casting is ridiculous. So bad. So bad. Um, but I would still recommend people watch it. I still enjoy it. I would recommend avoiding it if possible. Um, but <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Indeed. Um, yeah. But I think the different, the big difference is, I am also a huge Studio Ghibli fan, but mm. the, I think the big difference is I read the book before I saw the movie, mm. whereas you saw the movie before you read the book. So it's for true. you, the book was like a lovely, delightful surprise, whereas for me, mm-hmm. the movie was like a huge letdown because it it's deviates true. so much from it the book. It does deviate. Mm-hmm. There's some, there's, there's, there's some things that are added, a war uh, that is just not necessary. Zeppelins, I don't know Howell why. turns into a bird, which he does not do in the book and is entirely unnecessary. He's also like a very different character. He's also a very different character, prone to theatrics, but a very tall, skinny man with the voice of Batman. And he's very Uh, brooding. (laughs) He seems very like, um, kind of emo. (laughs) Well, I think that's all due to Christian Bale's terrible voice acting. Well, you know what, Christian Bale, I just, I wish you hadn't. Sorry, yeah. sorry to boo you. I feel kind of mean, but I don't think Christian Bale's listening to our podcast. <laughs> he's just <laughs> waiting for the <laughs> someone he's to waiting have for this the, podcast. He's waiting for the Hemlock series. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. So yeah, I would I would just like to say that I discovered this book from um, a book blog that I feel is not really um, updated anymore. But it was I was really into it for a while. It was called Things Mean a Lot, and it was book reviews by a woman in the UK. Um, and she got me onto this book and Diana Wynne Jones in general. And, uh, so thank you to the author of things mean a lot because Mm. that's how I discovered it. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Okay. Onto the magic bowl of prompts. The magic bowl of prompts. All right. Let's see what we still talk about. (gasps) Ain't that a name? Ain't that a name? All right. So let's talk about the names in the book. There are a lot of good names in this book. Yes. And not just character names, but place names mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and names are also an important function in this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So obviously Howell. Yes. Howell's a really great name. It's such a good name. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, we forgot to mention also that this podcast will be rife with spoilers. Yes. Because so, Howell's name is Howell. how how well how well how well so midway through the book it is revealed that howl is so h-o-w-l is Mm -hmm. the character's name in most of the book and then in the title Mm -hmm. but then you find out at some point that he is actually from wales Mm -hmm. 
And when he goes to Wales, uh, they call him Howell, H-O-W-E-L-L. So same name. Sounds very similar, as I realized when I tried to say them both together. (laughs) Yeah. So, but he also has several names. That's right. So in the Moving Castle, he has um, the port door, the door that can open to several different places. Mm -hmm. And so in the land of Ingury, where he meets Sophie, he's known as the wizard Howell. But when he's in, uh, what's the town called? Kingsbury? Kingsbury. Kingsbury. Um, He is the wizard Pendragon. Yes. Yeah. Which Which is is also a great name. So great. And little Arthurian legend Mm, shout out there. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And then in Port Haven, which is a little seaside town, mm-hmm. he is the sorcerer Jenkins. Right. Yes. Jenkins. <laughs> <laughs> which is actually his last name when he goes back yes. to Wales. His name is Howell Jenkins. It's so. so great. He doesn't have to stretch far, but it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so he's got some he's got some great names. His names are personas that he also puts on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's all really important. Uh, and then we go to our lead, Sophie. Yep. Yeah. Her last name is Hatter. Yeah. And she is a hat maker, daughter of a hat maker yeah. who owns a hat shop. Yeah. Very subtle. Very <laughs> subtle. Yeah. But also kind of like a traditional, like an mm-hmm. Alice in Wonderland kind of, you know, like it talks about your last name was also your profession, right. like your handed down profession. Because mm-hmm, that is how last names used to work. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And who else? I mean, we've got the um, Mrs. Pent Simmons. Pentstemon. Pentstemons. Yeah. I don't, I feel like that is something, a pentstemon. I don't know. Oh. If anybody knows if that's a thing, then please let us know. Well, it's a great name. It's a good name. And she's a very um, intimidating, imperial old, mm-hmm. old lady, very stately and yeah. severe. Mm-hmm. Um, the... the Place names, I would like to mention mm. Market Chipping. Oh my gosh, it just sounds like the cutest place ever. It does. And chipping, it's chip- chipper, it's, it's just happy. It's just happy and it's a market and it's, yeah, yeah. Market Chipping, Port Haven, which is the seaside town. Which is a haven, mm-hmm. just also so comforting and yep. safe. Yeah, and then Kingsbury yeah. where everything is like very golden and regal and... Yep. Um, this is very evocative, sweet name. And then there's The Waste. Yeah, and The Witch of the Waste, and the which Witch is a great title. It's such a great title. And The Waste is like a very hot, it's like an extreme desert type mm-hmm. landscape that the witch has been banished, banished to by mm-hmm. the king of Ingury. Yeah. Um, but she's still managing to wreak havoc from, from the waste as we come to find out. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else about names? There's Letty and Martha. Well, yeah, there's, there's oh, yeah. an interesting thing where they... Just read the book. There's going to be so many spoilers. Yeah, they switch places. These so, are Sophie's sisters. Yeah. So uh, Sophie's sisters switch places. So they take each other's names. And so then there's this whole kind of confusing thing of like, who's really in love with Letty Hatter? Which one is really Letty Hatter? Right. Because at some one point, Howell and Michael are both pursuing a Letty Hatter. A Letty Hatter. So it's, yeah, <laughs> what ends up happening is they they take, they figure out a spell to look, look like each other and mm-hmm. they switch places. And the spell is supposed to wear off gradually, we're told. Yeah. But... Um, the Letty Hatter, which is the real Letty Hatter, gets found out almost immediately, but we don't actually know that. So mm-hmm. she's, once again, just Letty Hatter, yeah. whereas her sister Martha is also Letty Hatter. Yeah. And then there's at one point where Howell says to Sophie, is your name really Letty too? <laughs> 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 Lots of Letty Hatters going on. Lots of Letty Hatters going on, yeah. 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 
So I think, I think that's really good names. Shout yeah. out for Calcifer as just Calcifer. being a really great name. It's a great name. Yeah, yeah, that would be a great name for like a smoky black cat or mm-hmm. an orange cat. Mm-hmm. Just a suggestion. Yes. Yep. All right. A oh, do you want to do this one? Sure. Magic bowl prompts. Oh, very timely. Are there any cats in this book? Oh, no. No. <laughs> there is a dog man. There is a dog man. Um, and as we've said, a great cat name for future. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Lots of great cat names, but sadly no actual cats. No. It would have been improved by cats. It definitely could have had a cat in mm-hmm. there. Somebody could yeah. have had a cat. Note that in the sequel, mm. there are cats. There are cats. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Moving right along. Mm-hmm. Wait, we forgot the pitch turn. Oh, it's sound effects so big. Oh, I'm going to save that one for a little bit later. <laughs> Select uh, Ooh, taking. Feminism 101. Would you give this book to your daughter? Would you? Well, <laughs> my daughters are cats and they can't read. Um, I would. I would give this book to my fictional daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of really great gender stereotype reversal things going on here, Mm. um, particularly with Howell being the character who is extremely, extremely concerned with his appearance. He spends hours every day in the bathroom putting spells on his face (laughs) and hair. He's got these very elaborate suits and he wears hyacinth scented perfume. Um, and he's always swanning about, um, takes him like hours. It takes literally hours hours and hours in the bathroom. And he's always going around trying to like attract women. Um, he's peacocking. He's peacocking. (laughs) And Sophie, on the other hand, from the very beginning, it has been, has had a curse put on her where she is an old lady Mm -hmm. and she wears one gray dress the whole book which it says at the very beginning is very unflattering to her (laughs) and she doesn't care no it's a great exercise i think in the um you know the yeah like no fucks given in Mm -hmm. terms of yeah become an old woman and just say what you want and maybe you could just do that when you're young and really have the life that you want to have instead of being suppressed and obsessed with appearances Mm -hmm. Exactly. And Sophie, as a young woman, is very timid, very shy, very um, very hesitant to do the things that she wants to do. Has not a, questioning. Not questioning. Um, she puts a lot of expectations on herself, or not really expectations, limitations. Mm-hmm. She puts a lot of limitations on herself. And when she is turned into an old woman, she's like, oh, sweet. Yeah. I don't have to care anymore. Yeah. yeah. I also think that this book really teaches one about the... Um, the folly of assumptions. Yes. This book is rife with assumptions as plots where mm-hmm. um, people make mistakes or assume someone's some way because they've heard a rumor or heard something. Mm-hmm. And while everything does work out in the end, those things do cause bumps along the road. So it's mm-hmm. really, it teaches you just about like not assuming. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And she has a lot of, um, she has quite a few journeys in terms of her um, relationship with the other female characters in the book. So her sisters, her, her stepmother, um, and where she's, she kind of goes through these waves of not being sure what to think of them or f- how to feel about them mm-hmm. and, um, sort of believing what they say about each other and not trusting herself. And yeah, that's, I feel like that's one of the really strong parts about this book is right. not only does it create this sort of like 
you're also as the reader trying to figure out what's really going on, but it's also showing her finding her own feet and trusting herself as well. Right. And really teaching her about ways of looking around other people's thoughts and assumptions, Mm -hmm. which I think is such an important skill for young people. We Mm -hmm. had been talking recently. I think I was one of those people who, um, growing up like in a safe and sheltered environment, at times I would look around my parents, you know, teachings or wisdoms and be like, "Mm." but there was other times I fully accepted it. And so she, you know, she at first trusts in her stepmother completely. And then her sisters are like, oh no, she's out. And she's like, oh, she's terrible. And then at the end she sees it. She's like, oh, it's, it's neither. And it's Mm -hmm. both. Yeah. And it's, it's just more nuanced than that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think that there's a really great, um, character, well, she's a terrible character, but her name is Miss Angorian. Mm. She is, um, Howell starts to pursue her. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sophie, although not really realizing it herself, has started to fall for Howell. Um, but she hasn't really acknowledged this to herself, but she has this unreasonable dislike of Miss Angorian, who's this beautiful young woman. But her main complaint about Miss Angorian is that she speaks throbbingly. (laughs) (laughs) And Miss Angorian is very melodramatic and Mm -hmm. she's your typical kind of at first glance, again, going back to this appearance, things are not always what they seem, but, um, Miss Angorian presents herself as a very typical kind of emotional, um, Mm -hmm melodramatic mm-hmm. female and Sophie just has no patience with it. She's just like her and her throbbing voice and she's like ejecting her from the castle and then feeling bad about it. But she's just like, Ugh. yeah, it's amazing. It's very amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else that we can say about that? I would also like to say that um, while there is a lot of cleaning in this oh, right. book yeah. um, and we've talked about, Um, well, we just talked about it earlier, about (laughs) how housework is still the domain of women, that Mm -hmm. women still, even though they're out in the workforce, are still doing full-time work, child raising, and still doing the majority of the housework. And there's this really huge imbalance. And we kind of notice in a lot of our books that women are still doing a lot of that. Like it's really ingrained. But this book kind of she does clean. Like she, she does make everything look really good. That place. But she uses it as a way to actually like work through a mental health crisis, which I think is really an interesting kind of metaphor. Is for it a mental health crisis? I mean, she's just been turned into like a 90-year-old woman. She's got some anger. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe not. I don't know. I feel like with like th- that's a really huge thing and like some people would have just collapsed. So I feel right. like an attack on your psyche. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to succumb. She's working right. through it. So it's like, she, you know, it's like a whole sense of disturbed, like no one recognizes her. She doesn't mm-hmm. know who she is. She might be stuck like that. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like it's a, she's life, having yeah. a, a big thing and she's suppressing it all. Yes. But she attacks the house. <laughs> she does attack the house. And uh, I think it's funny to note that like the men in the house mm-hmm. aren't like, great. We've got a woman who's come to clean for us. They're like, please stop. You're persecuting us. <laughs> well, she doesn't quite. Yeah. It's, it's like a turning the cleaning as like a woman's tool on its head because she does it so ferociously and aggressively. Mm-hmm. But I also think it teaches young girls like that they can turn things like that into like outlets for like times of like, you know, you've had a bad day at school, like mm-hmm. go home and tear your room apart and like then put it back together. And it's like a yep. metaphor for letting yourself fall apart and then putting yourself back together. Right. Yeah. Um, I think also in thinking about this, not necessarily the cleaning, but the um, feminism 
piece is, I think it's really interesting that when Sophie goes to the moving castle, she is not going there as like a damsel in distress. Mm. She's not going there with any necessary hope of getting help. She's kind of afraid of Howl, but she's tired. It's night. She's cold and damp. Her arthritis is acting up. And she gets, and she's angry. And she's angry. And so once the castle vexes her a little bit. Mm -hmm. This is all extremely vexing. She doubles down. She is determined to get in there. And she sees it has all these chimneys with all the smoke. And she's like, there has got to be a roaring fire in there. And I'm getting me some of that. So she like pushes her into that, like literally pushes past Michael, who is Hal's apprentice, who's trying to close the door she on her. She doesn't even notice him at first because he's so, she's so intent on him. She's like, there's a chair beside the fire. Yeah, so like, she gets in there and then it's a really interesting reversal again because when she meets Calcifer the fire demon and he's like, I need you to help me. Mm. I've made this, this bargain, this pact with Howell and I need you to help me break it. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of this, she's not like, oh, I'm going there for help. Mm-hmm. She goes there for her own ends and ends up agreeing to help them. That's true. Yeah. 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 All right. Okay. <laughs> Ooh. Uncomfortably close reading. <laughs> In which we... Provide an examination of literary techniques in the book. Oh, I'm going to pass this one to you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a couple things I wanted to touch on here. Um, One is the the narrative voice, which is Mm -hmm. told in third person, but clearly from Sophie's yes um, perspective. Like Mm -hmm. there, we don't ever see anything in the book that happens that away from Sophie, right? So even though she's not actually narrating it in like the I voice, she we don't see anything that she doesn't see. Mm-hmm. And it's I find that to have been the first time I read it, I remember being like really struck with how much like Sophie herself, I was not really questioning as much as I could have been. Mm. And so when things were revealed, they were taking me by surprise because Sophie is an extremely unreliable narrator because she's telling you all these things that she's thinking, that she's believing, that she's trusting. And then all of a sudden it's turned on its head. The most noticeable one for me being that she spends a good chunk of this book trying to avoid her sisters because she doesn't want them not to recognize her as an old lady. Mm -hmm. And avoiding talking to Howell and she doesn't want anyone to know that she's got this curse on her. She's just like, I'm just going to hole up here as an old lady and do my thing. Mm -hmm. And then, um, her sisters at one point all barge into the house and like, and her stepmother and like everyone she's ever known. And they're just like, Sophie, Oh, how's your curse like doing? Like, and they all have known all along. And she was like, she's blown away. She has no idea. And Howell's like, yeah, I've been trying to take this curse off you for weeks. Yeah. Um, and I remember being really shocked at that yeah, point. Yeah, he, he's been trying to take it off of her. He's been trying to make her more comfortable because he couldn't take it off of her. Yeah. And he also says to her, like, you know, you think, you, you know, like, I, I know my business. That's a pretty big curse for me as a, like, this is, yeah. I do magic. Like, yeah. I kind of saw it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she just has not even, it's not even crossed her mind. Yeah. Yeah. So I really love that mm-hmm. in books when all of a sudden you're like, oh, everything this character has been thinking and therefore I've been thinking is, is completely wrong. wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah. I really left that about it. Um, I also wanted to, we something we haven't talked about before is what do you make of the fact that the spell 
Yet the Witch of the Waste puts on Howl is actually a John Donne poem from like the 1600s. Well, it's quite a sweet poem. It's very magical, I find. It starts out very magical. It's true, yes. Um, yeah, so it's a so basically the Witch of the Waste puts a curse on Howell mm-hmm. and he's he's trying to run away from it. Mm-hmm. So that that is why his castle moves around, it's why he has all these different identities. He's basically in hiding from mm-hmm. the Witch of the Waste, which is quite funny because it's like everybody talks about him all the time and knows who he is, like no matter which town he's in. I know. Everyone yeah. knows, which is another funny thing. And we should just say that she put the curse on him because they had a thing. But he jilted her. And then he jilted her and she's Indeed. like furious and has sent this like revenge curse after him. And he's yes. just like whoop. <laughs> Yeah, this is what Howell does. He makes women fall in love with him and then he's done. He's like, well, I, that was my thrill and I'm not interested anymore. And he leaves. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, he leaves his spell out for Michael to work on. And Michael and Sophie spend a lot of time trying to crack it and then ultimately realize that that's the wrong spell. Mm-hmm. And it is in actual fact a piece of homework. Yeah. <laughs> that Hal's nephew in Wales has had. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, it's it's a bit convoluted, but this piece of homework is a John Donne poem mm-hmm. that actually exists. It's called Song. Mm-hmm. And it's a couple of interesting things going on here because the poem itself is three verses, mm. but the homework slash spell is the first two verses and the instruction find out, like figure out what this poem is about and write your own third verse. But it, I think it's interesting to note that the actual third verse of this poem is about how beautiful women are unfaithful. Hmm. So it's very odd because you're right. It's magical. Like the first verse is like, go and catch a falling star, get with child and mandrake root and all these impossible tasks, um, which then start happening. Mm-hmm. And then Howell's freaking out because apparently once all these impossible things come true, then the curse will have caught up with him and the witch will be able to get him. Mm -hmm. But I'm just, yeah, I'm not really sure (laughs) what to make of the fact that she just, I, yeah. What do you think about this? Well, I think it's interesting that she actually like removes the idea, like she, she doesn't talk about the third verse. No. She's like, rewrite this. Yes. So I kind of feel like it's also a nod to the fact that like the poem says that like how we'll never find a faithful woman. Right. But that's not what happens. Right. So it's like, I'm rewriting this magical thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess there, she has a whole bunch of nods in here. We've mm-hmm. talked about, um, there was the Pendragon mm-hmm. Arthurian nod. Mm-hmm. Then he refers to Sophie and her family as Mad Hatters, mm-hmm. which is an Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's also a Rivendell, mm-hmm. which is a Lord of the Rings reference. So I'm just wondering if she potentially just really liked the beginning of this poem and was like, I just wish it hadn't ended up with like hating women at the end. It's possible. And so she was trying to reclaim it and rewrite yeah. it with this book. Yeah, I like that yeah. reading. Yeah. Very magical because it is very magical. Yeah, um, and I I do quite like the fact that one of the plot points is that the witch se- they, he refers to her as sending the curse in through Wales, mm-hmm. like his actual hometown. Yeah. So the way it 
it comes to him is that it's his nephew's homework. Yeah. And that is a distinctly non-magical world that mm-hmm. he is a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I liked that little that little sort of link to our world, I guess, yeah. using actual literature from actual Earth history. Yeah. 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 Um, and then I guess one other thing is just to say the fairy tale rules. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this book really follows fairy tale rules um, in a lot of ways or, or not necessarily follows them, but, but references them. Yes. So it talks in the beginning about how Sophie doesn't ever think she can make anything of herself because she's the eldest of three. Yeah. Um, which is a very clear reference to, and it's often three brothers in fairy tales, but the oldest one never... It's always the youngest one that, yes. that makes their fortune and yeah. succeeds, um, which is part of why she never tries. Right. Yeah. 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 And it also, um, you know, there's also three sisters are in fairy tales. Uh, you would have one and then you'd have the two evil stepsisters, right. but yeah. none of them are evil. They're all quite good looking mm-hmm. apparently mm-hmm. and supportive of each other. Yeah. And again, it was usually, I think the youngest who would be put upon. Right. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Evil was apparently old. (laughs) (laughs) Evil. Old is evil. Evil is old. Um, Yeah. And then this, the whole idea of making a bargain with a demon and Mm. just various little, little nods here and there throughout the book to, um, to various fairy tale Mm -hmm. tropes, which is fun. Yeah. 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 All right. Back to the magical pool of prompts. This one flew out. Themes? Discuss. Hmm. I feel like we've already touched on a lot of the themes here. We have, yeah. We have touched on a lot of themes. I think that for me the biggest theme was the things not being as they seem. Yeah. Well, appearances. Mm -hmm. Physical appearances, Mm -hmm. but then also, um, yeah, like... uh, ideas and mm-hmm. assumptions not being as they appear. Yep. Yeah. I think that's the biggest theme. Yeah. And speaking of appearances not being what they seem, there's a great part where um, Howell has these two cloaks in his closet that when you put them on, you um, transform into something else. Yep. And so Michael puts one on at one point and transforms into an old red haired bearded man. And then Sophie puts one on, doesn't, can't see herself, but Calcifer bursts out laughing. And then later on, she sees someone else put it on and they've turned into a horse. <laughs> and there's a part where like the horse comes out of the house and it's like, nobody seemed to notice a horse coming out of this house. <laughs> Which yeah. is also great. And I would also nod that um, Sophie, she she also, uh, things being as they appear, she, she has this magic that she can talk yes, to things. Yeah. Uh, so hats, um, she talks to hats at first and mm-hmm. she tells them about themselves and about their owners and yeah. those things come true. Yeah. Um, and so they kind of transform the people that put on these hats. Yeah. And then there's also Howell's uh, suit that she's mm. constantly trying to, she's trying to mend this suit that she's destroyed of his. Yeah. By sewing well, for, it yeah, into she, tiny diamonds? I'm so confused. She as cuts to what it up to, yeah. when she's mad at him. Yeah. <laughs> and then she's trying to sew it back together. Into tiny diamond shapes. I'm like, I don't understand. And it gets, gets smaller and smaller. Yeah, it keeps and then getting they, smaller. I was like, well, I don't understand. Like, is it a Harlequin suit? Like, what's going on here? Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's never very clear. But yeah. as she's like 
anger sewing his suit. She's like, oh, you're built to pull in all the girls, aren't you? And yeah. And then it turns out that it then becomes a charmed suit where mm-hmm. it does pull in all the girls, but it wasn't built like that before. No, but he has the power. He had the power to fix it the whole time. Yeah. And then did. once he gets it back from her, he changes the color of it. Yeah. And then she can never figure out what suit she, he's wearing. It. She's constantly like, what, what, are, what suit are you wearing? What, <laughs> yeah. What's going on here? Yeah. And once yeah. she realizes, because it's not until about three quarters of the way through the book that she understands that she herself has magic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Something again that she's like willfully hidden from herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and she's actually done her magic on herself. Which is, yeah, which is another one of those plot twists at the end where Howell's like, yeah, the Witch of the Waste cursed you, but you, the reason why I couldn't lift it is because of you. Mm-hmm. He's like, and I came to the conclusion that you liked being in disguise as an old woman mm. because, and she says when she gets turned into an old woman, she's like, well, this is how I feel on the inside anyway. Right. So then we, it is then revealed that like she is putting, part of the curse is her doing mm-hmm. it to herself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think because it isn't. Yeah, there's a moment I think when she's early on in the book when she's in the hat shop and she she says something like to herself about being an old woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she kind of um, unfortunately practices her own magic on herself by repeating all these um, things about being the eldest, not doing anything, yeah. and so she's she's actually depressed herself. She has because she's told herself that she doesn't ha- like. There's no life coming for mm-hmm. her that is worth living. Yeah. And the entire book seems to be this constantly back and forth about she doesn't think she deserves any life worth living. And every time something kind of happens, she kind of, she yells at herself, like almost Mm -hmm. internally being like, well, that's what you get for trying to like, you know. Yeah, that's what comes of being the eldest of three. You never were going to amount to anything. Yeah. 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 Um, Sad. It is sad. But it's also a great lesson in terms of um, what people tell you and what you tell, you know, you can believe things that are, you can internalize things that yeah. are not correct yeah. and lead yourself down like a self-fulfilling prophecy mm-hmm. of if, if you think and you believe other people who tell you you're not worth anything and you can't amount to anything, like you can really make that happen for yourself. It's a cautionary tale in that respect. And I th- again, I think that's great for if this was a young, if th- this is a young adult book for them to read and be like, oh, like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the power of suggestion. Yeah, because in this book, it takes place in terms of magic but it's also it it just as easily could not be magical and you could have somebody believing all of these negative things they've told them well this is bullying you know like when when someone has internalized it yeah Yeah, absolutely Hmm. well i love that sophie's magic um works better and better, like the more Mm. authoritative that she is Mm -hmm. about things, like the angry. And it doesn't always have to be angry, but she tends to, when she gets angry, she gets assertive. Yes. And so um, when she says things with conviction, they happen better. And that's also like, you know, a great lesson there of Mm -hmm. really teaching you to like mean it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And when, yeah, I think the anger piece is because when she's angry, she stops, like she forgets to doubt herself. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. This magic moment. <laughs> no, I don't think that's the tune, but that's okay. No, it's like I feel like it's like a twilight time. You know, it's like twilight time or twilight. The no, I think it's like a '60s song. Okay, uh, maybe like an Otis Redding kind of thing. Derailed this meeting with another obscure comment. <laughs> anyway, this is our favorite parts. Okay, favorite parts. Favorite parts. So. um I really like how much bacon 
is consumed in this book. Oh my God, they eat so much bacon. They eat so much bacon. They eat breakfast all the time and I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just so excited about that. Okay. Yeah. um, What else? What else is a favorite moment? (sighs) I would say, oh, uh, (laughs) when the waste is... Oh, when the witch goes after Howell in Mm -hmm. Wales... Right. And he's like, ah, you know, and Sophie's already been in his room. And so she knows that the window in his room looks out into the backyard of the house in Wales. Mm -hmm. And so Hal rushes into Wales and Sophie, with her entire family in tow, (laughs) uh, goes into Hal's bedroom to like watch the fight if it Mm -hmm. does. And so they watch it all. But they're all standing in Hal's dingy, dingy bedroom. (laughs) The one area she's not been allowed to clean. Yeah. Her mother and who is the other? Mrs. Fairfax. Oh, right. Another great name. Yeah. Mrs. Fairfax. Like they can't even focus on the fight because they're so distracted by how dirty his room is. They're like, I think I saw a broom downstairs. <laughs> I, just have, I just love this entire, like, you know, they're all crowded his, with all the spiders. So many spiders. So many spiders. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think that's, uh, and then also the slime. Oh, yeah, Hal gets super angry and slimes himself. Well, he just, like, he has a tantrum. He has a massive tantrum. And, like, tantrum. he, like, soils himself with his <laughs> magic. <laughs> magic slime. Yeah, it's gross. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just- <laughs> you, you really like that, eh? Huh? I, I did like that scene because I, I, I really enjoy, again, like, this kind of, like, I mean, I really... I, I feel like this book would mainly, right now, be like encouraged and given to girls it's it sounds so sweet and magical but I really wish like a lot of boys would read this book too because mm-hmm. Howell throws tantrums and yep. he like cares about his parents and he can be petty but he also shows his emotions yes oh yeah he sure does yeah and I and I like that and yeah. I just love how he like slimes and he's just like throwing this massive tantrum and Sophie's just like <sighs> Yeah, she's got no patience for it. She's like, and Michael is like very, you know, accommodating and trying to like placate and Sophie's just pissed. I love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, favorite parts for me, I really like, there's a part where Howell's afraid that the king is going to ask him to go and take care of the Witch of the Waste. So he asks Sophie to pretend to be his old mother and go bl- blacken his name to the king. So she does, <laughs> and then she doesn't, she, want to. she doesn't want to, but she does. And then she gets lost leaving the castle and through a series of events ends up back at the castle and is just like, I guess I'll have to go black at his name again. <laughs> she does again. And then when she gets home, she's like, it didn't work. I went twice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I quite like that. And also, um, I like his constant snide remarks to her about well, yeah. how difficult she is. Yes. He's like, wow, the king sent you home and like it took that much to get you out of the castle. Eh? Like, yeah, and that was going to be one of my other favorite parts yeah. is like one of Howell's snide remarks where, so it, it tells us very early on that Sophie has been used to looking after her sisters when they were young and breaking up their tantrums, which is why she's so good at it with Howell and doing all their sewing. And she's basically just been like a mother figure to them. Right. Um, so at one point, Howell rips his sleeve. This is before she's cut it up in anger. And she's like, I can mend that for you if you want. And he just, in like a blink of an eye, uses magic to fix it. And he looks at her and goes, how you must love servitude. <laughs> <laughs> Which is part of her whole problem. Yeah. And so but true. I just love but that yeah. also like when everything, anything goes wrong, he's just like, 
Sophie. Yeah. He's like, what did you do? Yeah. And yeah. I was like, no, no, it wasn't Sophie. He's like, of course it was Sophie. Yeah. <laughs> it's always Sophie. <laughs> and yet at the same time, he's like, you know. He letting, loves it. He loves it. And yeah. she's living there and yeah. he's never tried to kick her out or. No, he never tries to kick her out. Mm-hmm. Yes. And she's constantly waiting for him to kick her out. Mm-hmm. And he just, yeah, yeah he secretly loves it. Yeah. He not so secretly not loves so it. Not so secretly. All right. See what we have next. Ooh, we get to pick from a different oh, bowl. So a we different have, bowl. We have okay. A different okay. So the question is, whoops. I'm gonna I'm gonna drum roll for this okay, one. Okay, yeah, because I'm pretty excited about these. <laughs> All right. Does anyone take a turn at Bushy Park in this book? Ew. <laughs> uh, so that is a euphemism for the sex. The sex. We have yeah. a whole bowl full of historical euphemisms, and you'll be treated to one every episode. They're so exciting. When we discuss sex in the book. Sex in the book. This one, yeah. Did anyone take a turn at Bushy Park? Uh, no. No. This is a, this is a clean novel, mm-hmm. but I, I should say it's probably thankful because of how disgusting Howell's bedroom is. Right. With all the spiders. Yes. It's not for, yeah. It's interesting because he just, he he only likes to woo. It's true. Yep. He only likes to woo. And at the end, it's revealed that the reason why he only likes to woo and why his eyes look like green glass marbles is because he doesn't have his heart. Mm -hmm. His heart is currently being used to keep Calcifer alive. Yeah. So Calcifer is sitting on his heart in the fireplace. (laughs) (laughs) And Howell is therefore incapable Mm -hmm. of true love. Yeah. And yet. And yet. This is a romance. This is a romance. Yeah. Um, There's, they, yeah, I think it's one of those things they fall in love with each other in spite of themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And they're both hidden from themselves, which like kind of allow them to, it's like a distraction. It's like pinching yourself when you've got your leg cut off because that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know what sound of it. This is all extremely vexing. So, had she been young and had he had his heart, maybe it still would have all worked out. And I mean, certainly this is still messy, but it kind of, she's not like, oh, I'm, you know, like yeah. being old takes the pressure off and him not having <laughs> his heart takes the pressure off. So, cause they say like, if you have a major wound, if you cause yourself some pain otherwise, cause it, it's a newer <laughs> signal and it sends it to your brain. Okay. And so it actually can decrease the amount of like other signals that are coming. Like, oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. I learned that from the movie Major Pain, which is no way any good. But at one point, a man has no leg and then he breaks his finger and the guy's like, my finger. And he's like, oh, you'll think. Derailed this meeting, but then I'm like, Okay. But this actually did not think of this until you just were talking oh. about that. But. Howell does say at multiple times in the novel, or maybe just one, but anyway, he says that he, the only way that he can do anything that requires like courage is if he convinces himself he's Mm. not doing it. Mm -hmm. 
So she's always calling him a slitherer outer because she yeah. can see him worming his way out of situations. But then in the end, he always comes through and he's like, that's mm-hmm. the only way I can do it mm-hmm. is if I convince myself I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. So that is, he slithers out of falling in love with her in order to fall in love with her. He does. That's the power of love. Yay. Yay. And then in the end, of course, he gets his heart back and his eyes look like eyes again. <gasps> But you yeah. didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you read the book. <laughs> All right. Whoa there. Problematic things in the book. Problematic things. Well, we talked about the domestic labor mm-hmm. and how it could be perceived as problematic, but also as empowering. Mm-hmm. Um, again, with... Um, it's one thing when Sophie does it. It is another thing, even though it was your favorite part when all of her female relatives come in and they're like, this room is so disgusting. Let's get brooms and clean it up. It's a little bit like all women have to clean. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Um, yeah. yeah. And I would say also the, um, all of the women are attractive. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Martha is the least. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> but she's still very attractive. But she's still very attractive. And yeah. Miss Angorian is attractive. Um, yes. uh, what's the mom's name? Fanny. Fanny is attractive. Yeah. Um, and I think both Miss Fairfax and Miss Pensimmons are like described as like a stately kind of manner. Like, right. And then we see yeah. the Witch of the Waste using dark arts to maintain her beauty, mm-hmm. even though it's... You know who's not attractive is the man with the indistinct features. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I do, you know... Uh, there's another author I really like. I'm tr- I'm struggling right now to think of who it is, but I've also noticed that always all of her female characters are attractive. Yeah. And ah, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. not maybe super necessary. Again, this is a fairy tale, yeah. and I think that um, she's perhaps trading a little bit on the ugly stepsister trope by reversing it, right? Right. And making them, they're not cruel and they're not ugly. Mm -hmm. They're all pretty and they're all kind. Yeah. Now, to be fair, Sophie is herself quite down on her looks. Yes. Um, And she even has kind of an odd thing where, like, the book straight up tells us, like, they're all attractive. Yeah. But she is convinced, like, Letty is, like, by far the most attractive. Yeah. And, but we know Martha is, but Martha has been they did a spell so that Martha looks like Letty and it slowly wears off so that eventually Martha will look like herself. But apparently Sophie is so concerned that Martha is so much less attractive than Letty that she wants to like tell Michael, you know, to warn him. Martha's eventually going to look like Martha. (laughs) (laughs) But that is so, (laughs) but it's so funny because he sees the real Letty and is like, my Letty is so much more attractive. And at what point do you think she tells him that her name is Martha, not Letty? Because <laughs> he just calls her Letty like most of the time. He does. He really does. It's awkward. Yeah, it's awkward. Yeah. 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 But overall, I'd say there's not that much problematic in this book. No. No, I would say, yeah. yeah she yeah. got rid of that third problematic John Dunn verse, just booted it right out of there. Yep. Yeah. And uh, our main character is an old woman for most of the book, which, which is, is yeah, great. It's great. You and she really heard. revels in it. <laughs> which is also great. Yeah. 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 Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. All right. Here we go. Ooh, this one is for you. 
Books with Brad. <gasps> if this book were a Brad Pitt character, which one would it be? Well, I've thought long and hard about this one. <laughs> I really so have it. Um, I do them quick. <laughs> that is such a lie. <laughs> yeah. Um, if this book was a Brad Pitt character, I would have to go with, it's not, there's enough links here that I'm, I'm going to make the case for Interview with a Vampire. They're both fantastical mm-hmm. um, because vampires do fall within the fantasy, fantastical realm. Yep. Uh, I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> but they're not really out there. <laughs> <laughs> they're out there. <laughs> uh, Brad Pitt's character uh, at first tries to just stay on his family's like plantation and just eat everybody like in the town. <laughs> <laughs> and That's they're not like, not, no, it's not sustainable and they do not have it. So then he has to go on the run. So he like Howell is also moving about, okay. um, trying not to be discovered. Uh, they're both a bit mopey mm-hmm. and they both also like their appearances. Mm. Also both attractive. <laughs> 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 and yeah, also both um, have kind of like people that they were, you know, mentors with who then become enemies. Okay. So the Witch of the Waste. It's and, interesting. And Tom Cruise. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Cruise should play the Witch of the Waste in the film adaptation. That would be epic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's what I'm going with. All right. I'm going to go with that. Fair enough. Oh, read it and eat. Food in the book. Well, Well, you already mentioned the bacon. You can't not mention the bacon. You could mention it again because there's so much (laughs) bacon. Um, I also just love... I love the, I, I just to say the description of the workshop, which is also mm. like kind of a kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that space is so cozy mm-hmm. um, and like that they're constantly just cooking on calcifer with like a cast iron pan. And sl- yeah. But it's also, I would like to note that Howell requests a sandwich with six slices of bacon. Is that a lot? Six. That's a lot. That's a lot of bacon. I love that this has to be fairy tale world because no one is concerned <laughs> about how much Bacon <laughs> That's how you know. There's also a lot of really good descriptions of cakes because Martha mm. slash Letty works at a cake shop. C- Cesari's? Cesari's. Yeah. And their cakes sound delicious. Yes. And Michael brings them back whenever he's visiting yeah. Letty Martha. Letty, Mar- <laughs> Letty Martha. Um, maybe that could solve the problem. She could just be Letty Martha. Letty Martha. Yeah. Yeah. All right. This is our last oh. prompt. And it is, as it has to be, a character study. Ooh. So fa- favorite character and why? And honorable mention. My favorite character is Howell. Mm-hmm. Uh, honorable mention goes out to, I like Michael. Really? Yeah. I mean, oh I, do, I like <laughs> Michael so too. Really? <laughs> I just thought you were going to say Calcifer. What? <laughs> <laughs> I was really expecting Calcifer for your honorable mention. Because he kicks all the bacon. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I would also, I have to pick Howell for my favorite character. Mm-hmm. He's just so entertaining. Mm. Um, I enjoy watching him slithering out of things, but then doing them in the end. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he's snarky and funny, which I appreciate. And my honorable mention, I think, is going to go to uh, Mrs. Pinstemon, mm. Howell's old teacher, who's a very elderly woman with claw-like hands who oh. bullies everybody and is quite funny, mm-hmm. unintentionally. Yeah. So, yeah. Plus, do 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 do. Wait, drum roll. 
we have a another bowl full of random questions about Ooh. characters. So go ahead and pull a. Is it? Oh, is yeah, it here? no, it's this it's one. one. Yes. Okay. Oh no! Wait. You know what? I think I put these wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's other bowl. Oh. Choose three characters and sort them into Hogwarts houses. Ooh. Mm. Okay, well, let's, first of all, let's choose our three characters. Okay. Uh, Sophie. Sophie, I would put into Gryffindor. Okay. Because she's got the deep down core of resilience and strength and courage. Mm-hmm. Although she may doubt herself at first, much in the vein of a certain Neville Longbottom. Yes. She really comes through and when push comes to shove. Mm, yeah. yeah. What do you think? I would agree. Yeah. yeah. So who, uh, next, next character, let's see. Howl. Let's sort Howl. Let's sort Howl. Mm, Howl's a tough one. Mm. I'm almost tempted to put Howl in Hufflepuff. <laughs> <laughs> Because he's such a softy underneath. He's such a soft. Calcifer says his heart is quite soft. Yeah, yeah. The Witch of the Wastes fire demon squeezes Howell's heart and he shrieks and passes out. <laughs> yeah, that's not a Harry Potter move. And Howell, and she's like, he's faking. And Calcifer says, no, he's not. His heart's really quite soft. <laughs> oh, he's a Hufflepuff. He is. He could be the Cedric Diggory of Hufflepuffs. You don't glare at me like that. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, yeah, oh. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. <laughs> All right. So we got Last a Gryffindor and a Hufflepuff. Yeah. I would like you to sort Fanny. Ooh, Fanny. Because I want to get to the bottom of what is going on with Fanny. What do you mean? Well, we get Fanny is like the character we get the most conflicting information about based on everybody's opinions of her. Right. So Fanny is Letty and. Sophie's stepmother yes. and Martha's mother. Yes. Um, but the girls are quite close in age, which mm-hmm. suggests that she's basically raised um, mm-hmm. Letty and Sophie. But mm-hmm. Sophie was probably a little bit older and yep. was kind of leaned upon by Fanny. Yes. Um, it sounds like Fanny was a bit younger than the dad who has died. Yes. So, and that she's an attractive widow and that when she... The husband dies, she has to tell them all, well, like, we actually can't afford to be sending you all to school. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what he was doing. So <laughs> I've, like, gotten all these apprenticeships. So she, like, has them all sorted and done. Yes. And Sophie, she's like, you're the oldest. You're going to stay with the hat shop. You're quite good at it. Mm-hmm. And then she just sticks Sophie in the hat shop. It's like, yeah. I'm going to show you the ways. Trains her one day yep. and then just takes off on the she's pretense always- of, like, what, what does she say? Like trucking up business or yeah, like... Yeah, she's going to get like to rustle up business to like find customers. Uh, customs. Custom. Yeah. Yes. To like... Yeah. And Which Sophie never seems to think about the fact that she doesn't ever come back with any like orders or anything. No, she's, she's out sort of like... Yeah. She leaves Sophie to do all the work. Sophie works really long hours. She works into the evening. Mm-hmm. She doesn't really go anywhere. And then Martha's like, Fanny is exploiting you. And we all knew this was happening. Yeah. And and, and Sophie's very shocked. She's like, I can't believe you're talking about your mother like that. And Martha's yeah. like, well, she's enough like me that I recognize it. Yeah. And we knew what she, and, and she's like, I knew what she was doing to me. I knew what she was doing to Letty. Like she's just trying to Yeah, she's like, she's trying to get us out of the way. She's trying to put upon you. And so then 
Sophie's at first, she's like, oh, I can't believe that you're talking about Fanny this way. But then the more she starts thinking about it and she asks Fanny if she can make a wage and Fanny's like, of course, but then never brings it up again. Mm-hmm. So I think it's both. Like, I think she's exploiting her for sure. Um, but I think we also have to remember that this has all happened. Well, it's interesting because no one seems to be grieving for the dad. I know. That's, <laughs> that is a total other fairy tale thing. Like there's one parent who's just there's died. There's one parent and, like, who's died. Yeah. Yeah. It's a Cinderella thing, but like Cinderella is gr- grieves for the dad. Like she does, but the it's... rest of the story really isn't about that. Yeah. So none of them grieve for the dad. We never hear, like no one ever thinks, oh, I wish he was here. Nope. Uh, and nope. but there is some indication that Fanny wasn't quite ready to just settle into the like that she'd kind of been stuck yep. working in an well see as a fashion girl I'm like you're working in a cool hat shop like that you own like why are she like that she felt so oppressed like you know just like resigned to her life so once her husband dies she's like out on the town mixing yeah. it up yeah and then incidentally yeah. she ends up marrying a rich man because she puts on one of Sophie's hats. She puts on the hat that Sophie says to the hat, you're going to have to marry money. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting too, because Sophie wanders away after she's cursed. Yep. And Fanny, like, she just closes up the hat shop. She does. And sells it. And moves. (laughs) It's like, uh, yeah. And she, but she, like when she finally sees Sophie again, she is like, oh, I was worried. She's very like overcome with emotion. And she's like, Sophie, I didn't know where you were. I was so worried about you. She's crying. Yeah. And then Sophie's like, I can't believe I believed all those bad things about her. So she's kind of redeemed at the end. And then when the other sisters show up, they're all having a big old reunion. It's not like you've been a terrible mother. Yeah. So sort Fanny. <laughs> sort Fanny. Hmm. I don't know. I would probably say that Fanny was a Slytherin. Not that they're all evil. They are all evil. evil. (laughs) Slughorn wasn't evil. Julie's not evil. (laughs) Our friend Julie was started into Slytherin. She's not actually in the books. (laughs) (laughs) Just you're like. I don't know, Julie. A Julie and Slytherin. Yeah, isn't there? Because Slughorn's not evil. And she's a little bit like a Slughorn. Yes, She's actually a lot like a Slughorn. Yeah. She cares about money. She cares about comfort. She kind of puts herself first. She eats crystallized pineapple all the time. I bet she does. (laughs) Because she's really worried about her carriage. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And her comforts. And yeah. So I think... I think... That emotion that she expressed could also easily have been guilt. Yes. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Because she didn't like, she didn't put posters up. She didn't go looking for her. She didn't even really talk to the sisters and be like, have you seen your sister? Because they've been like, oh yeah, she's in House Castle. Right. Like, That's right. She didn't really She didn't even tell the family that she's like missing. What are we going to do? There is no family conclave held. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so Fanny, yeah, I'd say she's a, she's a Slytherin. All right, bringing the judgment down on Fanny. Yeah. Okay. All right. And for our final segment, we discuss, we judge the book by its cover. We judge the book by its cover, even Mm -hmm. though we've just been judging the book by all its other things. Yeah. No, we're going to judge it by its cover. Yeah. So we both have the same book. Mm -hmm. We have the same edition. These are the, what is this thing? It's HarperCollins. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was a 2009 edition. Yeah. 
It's oh. it's a good cover. I like yeah, it. Yeah, this illustration is copyright 2000. Okay. Um, but the book text copyright was 1986. So if you're looking at an earlier edition, oh my. Yeah, watch out for those. They're terrible. This is great. This is great. This, this is, is by awesome. Tim Stevens. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's got some... It's green and purple. Green and purple with large black lettering um, in which there are cutouts and silhouettes of various vignettes and things from the book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very magical looking. Yep. And contemporary, which mm-hmm. I like because her name is written very like whimsically. Yep. Um, so it's a little bit different. And I like how it's a little bit contemporary looking because though this book was written in the 80s, it feels so timeless. Oh, it really does. You could yeah. you would never know this book was written in the 80s. Yeah, it feels it has such a timeless feel, but a simple feel where I would be surprised if you told me that this was written in the 20s because right. there's just like a straightforwardness with the language here which is just it's it's so it's so easy to go into this world. It really is. And I remember reading a quote from Diana Wynne Jones where she said that she believed that you should be able to, t- to tell any kind of story with really simple language. Yep. And you can definitely see that she practices what she preaches. Yeah. It's really easy to read. It's really fun to read. At the mm-hmm. same time, it's not a simple story. No. It keeps you engaged. It keeps you um, yeah. guessing. And it's, yeah... Yeah, I know. It's even like the back of the cover, the illustration of the castle silhouette mm-hmm. is very well done, very mm-hmm. whimsically. But again, simple, like yep. her language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a lot of detail. No, but very evocative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's quite good. So good job, Harper Collins and Tim Stevens. Yeah, and Diana Wynne Jones. Hmm. Alrighty, and so um, just our final credits. Final end credits. <laughs> end credits. So thank you to, for listening. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, please recommend it to peoples. We can be found <laughs> wherever our podcast can be found. <laughs> Let's just say iTunes. And our website, okay, which is yep. storygirlspodcast.com. Mm-hmm. You can also find us on Instagram at storygirlspodcast or on Twitter at storygirlstweet. And uh, please feel to tweet us or comment um, anything you like or don't like or questions or suggestions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're obviously avid book readers. So if by listening to this, you're like, oh, I hope that they're going to cover this book for sure. Send us that note. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we will be covering it, but if we've never heard of it and it's a great book, we would definitely love to know. We definitely want to know about all the good books. Yeah. So um, thanks to everyone for listening. And also thanks to Rob for our theme song and our audio editing needs mm-hmm. oh yeah next time Ooh. next time we, we will be talking about i capture the castle by dodie smith mm. so go read it yeah and until then <laughs> until then <laughs>